0: Uh, good, morning. good morning. So uh, my name's Dave, as you heard earlier. Um, uh, so I've been the guest for three weeks. It's the third week. So happy to be here. Uh, Andre uh, is my student now, and uh, really a gifted young man. Um, how to uh, smart? Kind of all across the board. Some people are smart, spiky. They're really smart in some areas, and and. Uh, Uh, But Andre's smart all across the board, uh, sober, and I don't mean that, well, every sense of that word also, I guess, (laughs) Um, uh, but I mean, just just a a careful thinker and a wise, I mean, he knows how to evaluate and just really, it's just a solid all around person. And Wayne is, uh, as he said, we've known each other for quite a while and um, few few people I've known uh, can match Wayne in terms of just brilliance of insight. I can think of several times in class where, He had an insight into scripture that, um, like, when he wasn't looking, I wrote it down and claimed it as my own later. So, so, so today uh, today we're going to look at the the letter of Hebrews and its portrait of Jesus. Uh, So, we've seen this slide every week. There are three theological geniuses whose work we have in the New Testament. So, there's nine authors in the New Testament by the most conservative number, that's of everything that says John on it was written by John, etc. So nine authors. And pretty much it's universally uh, acknowledged that of those nine, there are three that they're, uh, the way they think, how they present themselves, how deeply they thought about the message of the New Testament and about, uh, about the life of this person, Jesus, and what he accomplished. They rise above the others. John is one. Paul is the second. And then whoever wrote Hebrews is the third. So we've looked at... Portraits of Jesus the last two weeks, and we'll do Hebrews uh, today. So, uh, Hebrews, uh, it's an unusual book. Um, so, for many reasons, I'll just adumbrate some of them here. Uh, the King James Version of the Bible uh, heads the Epistle to Hebrews as the Epistle of Paul the Apostle. Uh, but the consensus, the scholarly consensus, is that the letter was not written by Paul. So, you might want to ask, well, why? You know, scholars. You know, what do they know? But, but there are some good reasons. There are some good reasons for questioning it. Um, and the first is, uh, well, unlike Paul's letters, the ones we know, so there are 13 that Paul wrote, this, this one doesn't claim to be written by Paul. Paul Paul's all, pretty much always starts his letters, I, Paul. But this one doesn't have that. Uh, in fact, the letter makes no claim to authorship. Nowhere in the letters it say it's written by, you know, so-and-so. And Paul's undisputed letters, are 13 of them, have distinctive features, right? Sometimes Paul writes, look, this is me writing. Look how big the letters are. So when my grandma, you know, was 90 and she wrote like a birthday, or she wrote birthday cards to me every year. She always called me on my birthday, saying happy birthday to me when she was, like, you know, when she was in her 80s. But, but by the time she got in her 80s, her, her birthday cards, not as many words because they were very big words, right? You get a little older and you lose your eyesight and you need to write bigger. So he writes, and some of them, look, it's really me writing. You can tell. Here's, look at the big loopy letters I'm writing with. Uh, and he often mentions, uh, oh, and then he also says, oh, so greet so-and-so and so-and-so. I mean, the la- usually the last chapter in his books, in his letters, are full of that. All kinds of people. Like Romans 16, it's just jam-packed with names. Even though he's never been to Rome, he knows a bunch of those people. So that's pretty typical of him. And then also... Uh, uh, he, often, uh, he often mentions folks that receive the letter by name. But uh, the letter does have one name in it. That's Timothy at the very end. That's, that's the second or third to last verse. There's 25 verses in the, the last chapter. And he, in passing, mentions Timothy. Whoever wrote Hebrews happens to know Timothy. So uh, who's been, who could have written it? Well, uh, Tertullian suggested Barnabas. Tertullian lived... Uh, Uh, in the 300s. Luther said, maybe Apollos. Calvin said, uh, maybe, Luke, maybe, I don't know. (laughs) A lot of people have suggested Priscilla, uh, like Aquila Priscilla Aquila Prisca. Uh, Maybe it's, you know, maybe she wrote it. I mean, that would explain maybe why that doesn't have an author. uh, Because there'd be some doubt in that culture whether you ought to pay attention to a letter written by a woman. Uh, but the current consensus is we don't have any idea. <laughs> and we don't know much about the community that received the letter, but it sure looks like it was written to Jewish Christians because it so heavily uh, relates to the Old Testament. Um, the early chapters, especially the first uh, eight or nine chapters, are a very uh, lengthy, uh, detailed set not so much of arguing from the Old Testament, but, but actually quoting the Old Testament and then giving, uh, giving a certain interpretation of what that passage means in, in w- looking through the lens of what Jesus has accomplished. So that's a little bit different. John makes his case about Jesus by, by having it be, a, it's, it's not so much a biography, but it's the story of the life of Jesus. And then punctuated at various points, Jesus has certain things that are of particularly acute uh, theological import, like we saw two weeks ago. And we focused on the, on the Holy Spirit and the promise that, that someday the Spirit will come and live within people who are committed to the living God. And the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus makes that possible. Paul argues a little bit differently. And we saw those two passages last week, Philippians 2 and Colossians 1, very intense, where he makes a lot of statements about Jesus. Uh, Hebrews argues in a very different way. Hebrews has these long quotes from the Old Testament and says, "Here's here's how I'm interpreting it. So each one, you can see that the type of argument is is different. The date must be before 95. We notice because there's a guy named Clement of Alexandria who mentioned the Book of Timothy, and he died in 99. So that's a definite, can't be any later than that. Uh, But a date prior to 8070 makes sense, because the author is arguing that Jewish modes of worship are now now outmoded. I just realized modes and outmoded. probably was not the best way to phrase that. But the temple was destroyed in AD 70. So if the temple was already destroyed, there's a long section where the author is saying Jewish patterns of sacrifice in the temple uh, are now outmoded. Why would you do that if everyone knew the temple was destroyed? So a little bit on the destruction of the temple. So uh, this is a guy named Titus. Uh, so, uh, if you can think, if you can picture or imagine the, uh, Nero, the Emperor Nero, the Mad Emperor Nero. Um, uh, he was uh, murdered. He was uh, in AD uh, 68, and two years before a rebellion had happened in Palestine. Now, um, just like today or in the last 10 years in Syria, I mean, there, there are probably folks living, I know there are folks living in the area that ISIS was in control of, and they weren't necessarily hoping for a rebellion. But when one happened in their territory, they're in a rebellion. And that's kind of what happened in Palestine. There was a group of people that, that were sure if they, if they chose violence, that they could force God's hand. And God would intervene. And there were all kinds of people who weren't interested in that. But once you're in territory where there's a rebellion, you're in a rebellion (laughs) whether you like it or not. And so that lasted from 66 to 70. And a guy named Vespasian was the general. But then he became the next emperor after Nero died. And his son is this guy, Titus. And Titus finished up the job. So they actually captured Jerusalem, destroyed the temple and ended up building a, a, a temple to the Roman gods right on that very site. So he uh, built an arch, that's an, that's an arch in Rome. So it's 1,950 years old. And on that arch, he, he, this is Titus, he, has, he, he demonstrates It's like early, uh, not so much propaganda, but early um, political sloganeering. Because on that arch, among other things, there's this depiction. And you can see there's a menorah there in the middle. So he's saying, no, no writing, you know, no texting, you know, no, uh, no Fox News or something. But this is their version of it. He's depicting, yeah, I was the one. I was the one who, who beat up on the Jews and, t- and destroyed their temple. So probably it's before AD 70. So the author appeals uh, to both the intellect and to the emotion of the intended audience, arguing that while Christianity is linked to Judaism, it's linked, it's not separate, that it's, there's an organic connection, but, uh, but that Christ and his work are superior to anything Judaism can offer. That's where he's going. And it wouldn't make a whole lot of sense to do that unless you're writing to Jewish Christians, people who are Jews, Jew, are Jews and have become Christians. So... He wants to make three main points the preeminence of Christ, the preeminence of Christ's priesthood, and the preeminence of his sacrifice. So, first argument, the preeminence of Christ. He's going to say this person, Jesus, is the Son of God and he's preeminent over the Jewish prophets. So, he's greater than the prophets. Then he's going to say he's greater than the angels. And wow, that's something, right? The angels were the mediators of God, God's agents. They were the ones who actually were in God's presence and took God's message to people. And and this person, Jesus, is even superior to them. And he's also superior to Moses. I mean, if you're saying, I mean, if there's like uh, the all-star team within Jewish, you know, Judaism, you know, Moses is on the all, he's the Willie Mays of Judaism or something like that. I mean, to say he's... Jesus is superior to Moses is really saying something. And then he's going to argue, secondly, wow, Jesus, his priesthood is beyond even the Jewish priesthood. So he possesses the requirements for serving as the priest, the high priest. He's going to say, we'll say there in chapter, chapters 4 through 7, wow, compassionate sympathy for the ignorant and wayward. I don't know. When you think about a priest or about a, about a religious or about a religious leader, does compassionate sympathy for the wayward and the ignorant is that like the number one thing you think of? <laughs> I don't th- I don't think so. I think we I think we think of some kind of like flowing robes or something, and some kind of some kind of exercise of power. But there's also a divine call appointing him as priest. So it's pretty fascinating, I think, that that it's the it's the compassionate side that is so emphasized by the author, and then there's this comparison with this guy Melchizedek. So that's a, uh, that name, Sedeck is the Hebrew word for righteous. Melech is the word for king, so his name means king of righteousness. So that's uh, intended to be you know figurative, like you know the king of Means you're, you know, you're full of righteousness. You're the, you're the top of the heap of righteousness. And this guy Melchizedek, you may remember, was a contemporary of Abraham. And uh, and Abraham recognized Melchizedek as a as a as a priest. Abraham paid tithes to him. So here's the argument: Abraham is five hundred or four hundred years before Moses. That means Abraham is four hundred years before the law, the Ten Commandments and the Levitical priesthood. That means Jesus is a high priest, not according to the Levitical priesthood, but some other authority, one that's earlier and therefore superior. That's the, uh, that's the argument. So it's superior to the Aaronic priesthood. And not only that, but Christ needs no successor because he made a one and for all sac- once and for all sacrifice. In the temple, you've got to sacrifice you know, there's a sacrifice every year, the Day of Atonement. But you need to sacrifice frequently to have your, you know, for your sins to be forgiven. But what Jesus accomplished, it's once and for all. It's the permanent get-out-of-jail-free card. You know, lifetime free coffee at Pete's. That'd be my <laughs> dream. Uh, and then, uh, the superiority of his, uh, then of Christ's sacrifice. So that that's his argument. So, and I'm now halfway through my thirty minutes, and we haven't even started looking at text yet. So, but uh, it was, I thought it was uh, because there's so much detail. I hope we need to do that, and we're just going to talk about some of the some of the text uh, for the next few minutes. Okay. Yes, Dave. That was uh, thank you. I, I'm very, I'm very, uh, I'm very. Uh, 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 shy and uh, self-conscious, so I need, I, need, I need affirmation. Uh, so this is the first line of argument, that Christ is superior to angels, etc. So for to which of the angels did God ever say, today you're my son? You're my son, today I've become your father. So this is a quote of, uh, of Psalm 2, right, which is a royal coronation psalm. What, the king, what God would say to the king, the first day the king starts ruling, your job from now on is to represent me. To what angel did God ever say that? Because angels are messengers. They're like, I mean, they almost like have, no, almost, it's almost kind of like no will of their own. They just go do what God says. But, but the connection to the king is, wow, this is something you've got to, it's got to be a change of your will. You've got you've to agree to live into this. But now, you're, but you're acting in my name. People are going to look at you and see you acting as if, it's, as if it's me directing you. So, to what angel did God ever say, you're my son, did I become your father? Or I will be his father and he will be my son. God never said that to angels. And again, let all God's angels worship him. So that's a quote from Deuteronomy. And the hymn is God himself. So, the author says, let the angels worship God. And speaking of angels, he said he makes the angels winds, his servants flames of fire. So that's awesome. But about the sun, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. And righteousness will be the scepter of your kingdom. So what do you see there? Yeah. And, And how so? Yeah, nobody else is like it. Utterly unique. Reigns, yeah. I mean, God says of the Son, your throne, O God. Did you... I mean... (laughs) Wow. (laughs) So that's how the author is now interpreting that passage. Wow. God himself says your throne, and it's it's a, you know, it's pictured as a throne over an earthly kingdom, but still, your throne... Oh, God. Anything else you notice? Yeah, it's forever. Yeah, attributes of God, but not, you, not of human beings are, are, are there. Yeah, I mean, that's just, that's, um, that's wacky. I mean, you just wouldn't do that. <laughs> you wouldn't do that in Judaism. I mean, this would make people's jaws drop. That alone would say, would say, oh, okay, this is clearly a whole different category of, of, of experience. This is clearly superior to uh, anything we knew in Judaism. And it's, he's God, but also kingdom will last forever, and righteousness will be the scepter of your kingdom. So the scepter is the symbol of authority. And what's that? It's righteousness. It's not power. It's not intercontinental ballistic missiles. You know, it's righteousness. Which is, that's great. It'd be great to be ruled by righteousness and not just raw, brute force. So Hebrews 5. Every high priest is selected from among men and is appointed to represent them in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for their sins. No one takes his honor upon himself. He must be called by God, just as Aaron was. So Christ also not take upon himself the glory of becoming high priest, but God said, you are my son, this day I become your father. And he says in another place, you're a priest forever on the order of Melchizedek. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. So what do you see so far? This is, so now we're on to the next, you know, the next thing, which is the priesthood. What do you see? Superior order, yep. was appointed by yep yeah he didn't appoint himself if you think about the internal working this is pretty interesting i mean if he is god he also was appointed by god i mean that's even though he could have self-appointed <laughs> that's i mean that that's that's really interesting Yeah, I think this is this is a passage, this last, thank you, this last line. He learned obedience. I think sometimes we think about Jesus and we think, you know, he's God and he just sort of, and he comes down and he's he's fully God-like. He's just kind of, um, yeah, but like if Stephen Curry, uh, you know, showed up and played in junior high basketball, you know, or something, right? I mean, like, it really isn't. He's really just playing around, but what what the New Testament argues is this person, Jesus, when he emptied himself, he actually became human, as we said two weeks ago, fully human, truly human, but temptation was real. Now he didn't give in, unlike me who like right I mean, and would you like some peanut M and Mm's Dave no, really? okay, I mean, right away, I give in, right but Jesus Jesus endured the full blast, so it's something. He experienced something of what it's like to be human, because he's f- truly fully human. We're um imperfectly human. We're less than God than God uh uh intended. So he actually learned it. It wasn't just playing around. That's what the text actually says. Yes, sir. Well, this passage, when it refers to priesthood, the priest came the tribe of Levi. Yeah. yeah: yeah and that's why that's why it's Melchizedek. It's before the whole that whole setup. In fact, Abraham, there is no there are no children of of Abraham yet you know when Abraham encounters Melchizedek I mean they, well okay he had some sons, but I mean there, there aren't there, the tribes aren't there yet, so yes. Yeah, he does is that and that's that's your point sir is that yeah he he doesn't so he's not he he's not he's superior he's apart from the levitical priesthood and his origin actually goes way before that. Yeah yeah, so the, the, the origin of, of Psalm 2 is, uh, it's a, a royal coronation psalm. So that quote is from Psalm 2. And it's a, it's a little like, uh, you know, what happens at the, at the presidential inauguration. You know, when the president actually ends up you know, uh, uh, swearing the oath, once he's done, he's bound himself to certain things. So when a new king starts rule, God says to him, in essence, you're my son. Today I've begotten you. That's what the text actually says. Um, uh, and that means from now on, you are to be my agent. You're to act according to my purpose and will, not your own. So it's a way of saying, it's a way of saying obedience. And then the next, right, uh, the very next... Yeah. Very next verse. And once, and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Now, that that, that phrase "made perfect" like isn't that a little bit disturbing? Like Jesus was made perfect? Do we need to? Do we need to take a little, have a commercial, and get you, have your attention back on it. so, I, mean, I so but but here it's a, this is one of the problems of going from Greek to English. Because we think of perfect, we think of like um, you know, you've never lost, you know, nothing but 100% on your math quizzes or something. But the, the Greek word for perfect, uh, it, and that's what's here. It's a, it's a form of, of te- teleos. Um, what it means, it, it's more um, uh, like the, the telos of an acorn is to be an oak tree. It's not to be the most beautiful acorn. And so this perfect means when, when, and once being made perfect, once having fully and perfectly accomplished what he was supposed to do. See that, that, so it's not, it's not like he wasn't because for us, perfect is like anything that's not perfect is, it's like, um, if you're at the exact North pole, every direction is South, you know, if you're, if you're at the top of the peak, the only way to go is down. But that's not that, it's not that image. It's the image of purpose. So he's fully accomplished exactly what he was supposed to do. He became this, and once that happened, that made it possible for him to be the source of eternal salvation for all. So it had effect for everybody else. Yeah, I mean, the, uh, the, the idea is very similar. I mean, the, 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 uh, the lexicography is different, but I mean, the idea is similar. So, and this guy, Jesus, was designated by... This guy, Jesus. Jesus was designated... The <laughs> guy in line next to me at Pete's, yeah. Uh, was designated by God to be high priest on the order of Melchizedek. So there, once again, that outside of genealogy. So we do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of, of the majesty in heaven. Wow. Regular old high priests don't do that. And, he, and who serves in the sanctuary. The true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by man. So here's this notion that there is actually a blueprint uh, uh, of the true tabernacle in heaven. And th- this goes to... Uh, uh, the way Jewish uh, ref, reflection on, on creation uh, operates. So um, uh, the, the Talmud, Talmud, you may have heard that name. The, the way to talk about, to describe the MB is it's like it's Jewish, ancient Jewish commentary on scripture. Uh, and then uh, the Midrash, I'm sorry, Midrash is ancient Jewish commentary on scripture. So the Midrash on Genesis 1-1, Midrash Bereshith, Uh, One, one very early on, it says, uh, "Before God created anything, He created seven things. (laughs) And of these seven things, two He really created; the others existed only in His mind." So, if you think about it, you don't. And then, and then the the the, 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 the midrash goes on to say, "When a builder builds a house, the builder doesn't just start building; the builder makes a plan." and then follows the plan. And so when God created the world, he had the Torah on his knees and used it as a blueprint for creating all, all, that, we, all that we see. So the idea here is the temple on earth, there's a, there's a perfect idea of it in heaven. And so the temple on earth is, has never been more than, could never be more than a really good photocopy of the one in heaven but the one in heaven this tabernacle in heaven the true tabernacle set up by the Lord not by man but the ministry of Jesus is superior so that, was, that makes it superior to the one on earth for if there, had not, if there had been nothing wrong with the first covenant no place would have been sought for another yeah if there was nothing wrong with it I love duct tape I put duct tape on all kinds of stuff but you know, duct tape. It's I'm, I put duct tape where like a bolt is you know, is missing, or 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 there's nails have come, You know, it's not the same as how it's really supposed to be. You know, I've duct taped like really important mechanical stuff under my car together. I shouldn't just think that that's as good as new. So wow, it's time. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with the first covenant. So the, the first covenant, it wasn't like it was bad. But it's like the thing to get you through, right? If, if, you, if you if your radiator hose springs a leak, halfway between Salt Lake City and Wendover, Utah, you know you better have something to plug it up. And then once you get to once you get where there's a, where there's a gas station, you better replace it. Don't just keep on with the temporary. So God said, "Hey, the time's coming when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah." This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I'm going to put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts, right? So this is back to Ezekiel 26. Well, we have hearts of stone. We have hearts of stone. And I'm going to need, so this, once again, this goes back to what we said two weeks ago about the Gospel of John. I'm going to need to take out that heart of stone and put a heart of flesh in you and and then make it possible for the Holy Spirit to live in you. So the laws will be in you. My, my will will be in you instead of just something external. So when Christ comes as high priest, he didn't enter by means of, of blood of the blood of goats and calves. Did I spell calves? Is that how you spell calves? C-A-L-V-E-S? Dude, all right. Got a point from that one, yeah. Um, but, but, but he entered the most holy place once and for all by his own blood. Wow, so he didn't use sacrifice of something else. It was his own blood. And that m- created eternal redemption, not redemption for a year. So the blood of Christ can cleanse our consciences from acts to death. What strikes you about that? Look at that. Just, anything strike you about that passage on the screen? Yeah. So I mean, I mean, there's, a, there's a, there's a, it's, a, it's a difference between, I mean, cleansing your conscience. So I got an email. I just finished grading. I've like, I don't know, I've spent hours, days grading. It's the worst part. It's the only bad thing about teaching. And uh, I had a student send me an email saying, uh, I, I have to confess, I cheated on a portion of the final exam. And it's it's all on the it's all online, and uh, so I I need I need to confess and I and I I need to be punished. So um, I wrote him back, and uh, actually the party I mean he he, like it was like a total like two points. So even if I gave him a zero, it wouldn't change his final grade any, unless I was punitive and like threw him into outer darkness and (laughs) expelled him from school. And, he, and it was clear he was already like mortified, you know, that, to write an email like that. So, uh, but it, but it's clear to me, I I forgave the the formal error mistake he made, but he still feels the weight. Does that make sense? So you can forgive the legal penalty. This is, but this says, wow. The blood of Christ can not only, can not only make it so your, your legal uh, responsibilities, your legal guilt is removed, but it can also wash over you and cleanse your conscience. Because you can be too so fixated on that that that, be, that becomes an idol even, your own worthlessness or your own whatever. That, see, that's pretty, that's pretty good stuff right there. So this is a comment I'm going to make with the house of Israel after this time, says the Lord. I'm going to put my laws in your minds and write them on their hearts. I'm going to forgive their wickedness. Oh, I just said that. I'm going the wrong way. That's what the problem is. Okay, I'm going to have to... Wrap this up pretty quick. So this maybe the maybe the most famous verse in the whole book of Hebrews, right? Faith is being sure what we hope for and certain what we do not see. So because uh, so uh, what, mm, let's talk about this just a bit. Um, If you have, if you're in your freshman year, your first year of college and you're in in a chemistry class and you've done nothing, you haven't gone to class and you haven't studied and you go to the final exam and say, I'm hoping for the best. That's not really hope. (laughs) You know, hope is based, there's got to be some kind of grounding for hope. You have no ground whatsoever for hope. Um, So hope, so hope is anticipation with expectation you have you have an expectation of it it's something there's some reason to believe so faith faith is we we don't know the future but what we do know is the person who has it in his hands is trustworthy right it's the scepter of righteousness that he holds it's not the scepter of uh, of of nuclear power or something it's the scepter of righteousness he can be counted on so what are the conclusions we can come to because of what about the whole book? Because of what Jesus accomplished as the truly human Son on Earth—that is, He lived the human life. We live less than human because we have, you know, because of our, the sin of our first parents. But He lived what God intended. Because of that, what we have broken, our own hearts and the world around us, God can and is repairing, and He remembers our sin no more. So hope is desire combined with expectation. Hope must have a basis, and we have such a basis. Second conclusion. Third, Jesus is the model of obedience. He actually I mean he endured temptation. It wasn't just it wasn't fake, but he endured it to the end. He resisted it to the end. So he knows what it's like. And there's this once and for all quality. So I don't know if you've thought about this very much, but in the New Testament, about what Jesus has done, when the New Testament talks about what Jesus has done, various images are are put into play, put forward. One of them is legal imagery, like it's a law court. So we're no longer guilty. And you can imagine being declared not guilty, but still seeing the evidence of your guilt. So that's why there's also... Um, Temp- temple imagery. Because temple imagery is about the removal of taint, of stain. Somebody can, You can be forgiven and still feel the stain, but temple is about the removal of stain. And then there's battlefield imagery because, because Christ has defeated the enemy and that means we can live forward in anticipation of what God has for us. See, there's those three Different but very related ideas. Our legal guilt, our sense of guilt, and then an an awareness that, wow, the power that sin had over us, where we were slaves to it because of what Christ has accomplished, we can now live free from that. So, all three of those are here in Hebrews. So, we have hope. Because we trust in one who's been proved utterly trustworthy. I think that's pretty good news. Thank you, Father, for your love for us. Thank you for the life of this this person, Jesus, your son. Not only for the model that he is for us, but for the fact that what he's accomplished if we accept by faith sets us free. May we live into that freedom. And may we be agents of that freedom to those around us, we pray. And all God's people said...